freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> Brady Henderson is in for the next couple of hours. We must be getting ready for Big Seahawks game on Sunday. Hi, Brady. Good morning. What's up, Mike? Well, a lot, actually. I mean, we we talked to you last week. Everybody was in high spirits. We were getting ready for a big opening game at home against the Rams. I thought the crowd was buzzing. The Bobby Wagner ovation was among the best I ever remember. And then uh, a few minutes later, everything just kind of went awry. And it, it just like it felt like everything just broke down. Like a jalopy, like the car was driving along and all of a sudden, Justin, what are some parts of a car that would fall off? There's a carburetor, I think. Does carburetor <laughs> car- fall off? Not, not too many modern cars are carburetors. <laughs> what? Yeah. Why not? Uh, it's fuel injection now. So? You can't carburate and inject at the same time? Uh, let's not, you let's got not carburetors and... Let's not get into this. How about muffler? You got a muffler sure, back by the that. side of the let's road. You got like uh, side view mirrors dangling oh, off yep. by those uh, wires or whatever. <laughs> what the heck happened, man? Yeah, I did not see that coming against that. I mean, against any team, but let alone that team where you could probably name no more than five or six guys. I mean, that's just a shell of the team that won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. And look, I think as bad as it was, and it was terrible in the second half, it's important to remember, like, they played okay in the first half. I mean, they weren't lighting the world on fire, but they were up 13-7. They, you know, had some nice possessions on offense. And then it all just went haywire, and it, it, it was like a car falling apart in the second half. And it, we are we're always inclined, and I'm guilty of this as a reporter, to want to ask and find out like what was the biggest issue. You know, we, that's the question that we ask a lot, and it's really it assumes that there was one issue. And really, in this game, it was a little bit of everything. It was the third downs on both sides of the ball. Uh, it was the just pass coverage breaking down. It was. Certainly, the tackle situation towards the end of that game was just I had a little issue really r- rushing the passer. Uh, yeah, that, that was going to be the next. That wasn't one. great. Yeah, rushing the passer. Yeah. So it was it was a little bit of everything, and it was just a total stinker in the second half. So what? So what do you think caused it? I mean, because we heard about the the mentality heading into it. We heard about practice. We heard about communicate. Like, what do you think it was? Yeah, and, and that's what I'm getting at. I think it, it was. It. Yeah, it was a little bit of everything. It was. You know, an effort, and it's rare to hear players call their own team out about effort post game. And really, Geno Smith and DK Metcalf both did that unprompted and independent of each other. So that wasn't just like one guy said it, and then we asked the other guy, and he said was agreeing with it, just to agree with it. They both brought it up, which says that to me that that was a legitimate issue in that game. And I mean, that's as good of an explanation as I could come up with because you can't explain everything else that happened. Now, again, I still think that was only part of it. Uh, I think Sean McVay is a heck of a coach, and I think he schemed some stuff up. And look, Matthew Stafford, it's easy to forget about him because he was hurt for most of last year. He's an older quarterback. Uh, But this is a guy who won the Super Bowl two years ago, and former number 1 overall pick, got paid a lot of money over his career, and he got hot in that game. And so it it was just a little bit of everything. How much of it do you think continues into this week? I don't think they're going to win. I think I certainly you're not going to see effort be an issue uh, in this game after, you know, all the scrutiny that's been on them for that. We we saw Bobby Wagner give them a very inspired, spirited pep talk before Wednesday's practice and it seemed at least based on what we caught of it, it seemed to be 
alluding to the whole effort and energy thing. So I don't think that's going to be an issue. Um, I just don't see how you get your offense on track in a meaningful way when in that situation where you're going to be playing with backups at both tackle spots. You're going to be playing against one of the best young pass rushers in the NFL, not to mention in a loud stadium that's going to be, uh, as Quandre Diggs said, a madhouse in their home opener coming off that week one win. So um, I don't know. I just I have a hard time seeing their offense really get on track this week. I feel bad about what I'm going to say. I do. And I, I think this is unfair. Like, I want to be clear. I said I said something like that over the on Monday with Pete. Like it's unfair to even really ask questions or second guess the whole should you play in the preseason thing because you know it, it's kind of a gotcha thing. Like in either direction, you can always yeah. go the other way and whatever. It's a it's sort of a you know anyway. I feel bad about judging what the Seahawks did at the number five pick today because it's not a fair time to judge. Right. Right, it's only been a couple games. We haven't even seen Devin Witherspoon yet. He could end up being the next Deion Sanders for all I know. We just don't know. And he he is a fun player that I'm looking forward to watching this week. But it's really hard for me not to make a constant and weekly comp to Jalen Carter. And after week one, Carter was like the best rookie on the planet. And after week two, he did not have as good a game last yeah. night, but he still had a huge tackle for a loss where he just looked unstoppable and you just see it. And it's, it's Brady. It's not just what he does. It's the position he does it at your need at that position. This one's hard for me. It really is. Cause it, 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 those, that comp isn't going away. Yeah, and I will. This is a natural spot for me to play the devil's advocate here, and and I'll give you two things. One is that how do you think the people in Philadelphia are feeling about that pick right now? Because I would suspect that they're still holding their breath for the same reason that you figured they would. Because it's not just about Jalen Carter, the player; it's about Jalen Carter, the individual, and and everything. And just you know, a quick recap of all the stuff there that was. You know, he was involved in the uh, car accident where he was allegedly racing uh, a teammate who was killed along with a Georgia staffer and then showed up out of shape to his pro day. And then there's all the questions as well coming out of Georgia about his practice habits and all that. So uh, you're talking about giving that guy a $21 million signing bonus in addition to spending the fifth overall pick on him. So I think I would suspect that the people in Philly – uh, who is as much as they've liked seeing what he's done on the field, still think, yeah, this could all go south in a moment. It sounds like if he had been here and not played as hard as he could on Sunday, he would have fit right in. <laughs> and he also would have still been uh, the best, you know, the most productive guy that they. Yeah, would have I mean, had. like yeah. I don't know, like okay, yeah, he didn't play that hard. Apparently, neither did they, and I'm not even the ones accusing them of that. They're telling me that's the problem. Yeah kind of hard for me to say wow yeah he might not play that hard well you didn't play that hard yeah no that that's fair that's fair and you know i also uh, talking to people in the building i I did hear one thing uh in addition to the obvious you know sort of off the field concerns with him and even it's when you're talking about practice habits and a guy's effort that's that's also an on the field thing but um i heard that they just didn't feel like or at least certain segment of that uh organization didn't feel like he is you know, the generational talent that a lot of people do. And and they felt like, you know, he sort of flashes and then disappears, uh, doesn't always play hard on the field, doesn't love football. Now, I think it's also interesting when you go back and remember all the stuff that was coming out pre-draft about how much Seattle is or isn't, you know, interested in Jalen Carter. There, there was just as many reports saying, yeah, they could take him at five. Mm-hmm 
versus reports saying, yeah, they're not that really into him. I think what that reflected was an organization that was kind of split on it. And a lot of times this – I don't know if this is necessarily true in this case, but a lot of times that split along coaching staff lines and front office lines. And so I think why you heard conflicting reports about it is because people who were reporting that were talking to different people in the organization. Some of them thought he was should be the guy at five, and some of them thought, eh, I don't know. We're going to continue to watch it. You can't help it. And I don't know whether he's the right guy. I mean, like I, I understand all of the question marks about Jalen Carter. They're real, I'm sure. But I also have just as many, if not bigger, question marks about this defensive line, this team's ability to stop the run, this team's ability to get after the passer. They did stop the run for the most part this past week, but not when it really mattered, not in third down, not in the red zone. They certainly didn't get to the passer. They only came near him on 5% of his dropbacks. Yeah. I I mean, like, that's hard to fathom. Jalen Carter by himself did better than that in week one. I know it's a different game, different scheme, and different people around him, but I don't know. This one's going to be hard for me. Okay, maybe he's not a generational talent. Maybe there's some concerns, but Devin Witherspoon better be all the things that you want him to be, and so far his season has not gotten off to a great start with not being in there a lot, so this isn't going anywhere. This conversation uh, continues for quite some time. The best remedy for it would be for some other guys to step up, get to the passer, have five sacks this week, destroy Jared Goff, force him into making some mistakes, and go on from there. Nobody's going to talk about it after that. All right, we'll come right back, give you everything you need to know it is Brock and Salk Seattle Sports on 710 salesports.com Brady Henderson in hanging out need to know 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk here's what you need to know up first all right if you want to test yourself you want to do it against the best that's what the Mariners have this weekend Dodgers in for three Dodgers are a good team, man. They are a complete baseball team, well-built. They've done it the right way. They haven't quite played up to their standard this year. They're behind a few teams, specifically the Braves, who right now are just kind of leading the pack. But they're good, and Mookie Betts has been on an absolute tear for the last few weeks. So going to need a plan to get him out, starting with George Kirby tonight. He'll have the first shot at it and his first start since the unfortunate comments last Friday. Jerry DePoto joining us yesterday. He's not too worried about it. Go look at what George actually does. You know, George is an innings eater. George is the guy that wants the ball and wants to go compete. You know, he's also a human being who's who's really experiencing that type of moment for the first time in his baseball life where, you know, it's we are riding the roller coaster of a September playoff race. And, and in the big moment, we lost it. And, and he reacted in a way that, that clearly the next day he expressed regretting. But I don't really count it as any type of penalty or shouldn't be counted as any type of ding against George. He does throw the 100 pitches. He does throw the innings. And he wants the ball in those moments. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's going to need to take the ball and do everything he's capable of tonight. Coming off a little extra rest, I would think he would definitely want to show the world what kind of competitor he really is. Meanwhile, last night, Texas somehow completed a four-game sweep of the Jays. I honestly did not see that coming. Just like everything else this baseball season, certainly for the last month or two, everything is just going haywire. Mariners now fall a game behind the Rangers, but they are one and a half up on the Jays for that final playoff spot. They'll start three with L.A., then they go to Oakland and then finish off with Texas, Houston, Texas. These last couple weeks are going to be absolutely insane. Here's the second thing 
you need to know. Well, it does sound like we'll be all systems go for the debut of rookie corner Devin Witherspoon. He'll make his debut in Detroit this weekend. Good. This is the highest pick the Seahawks have made under Pete Carroll. He had kind of a weird start to his career. Held out a little bit. Then you have gets hurt in preseason. Doesn't have a lot of reps in training camp. I still don't entirely even know what position or what role he's going to be in. What are we going to see from Devin Witherspoon? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you see him do a little bit of both, meaning he plays some nickelback, plays some at left cornerback. I don't think he's going to start at either position. I don't think he's going to play 60 snaps. Uh, this being his first game after, you know, really he was in and out uh, between the hamstring that he injured in the spring and then the two-day holdout at the start of training camp and then re-injuring his hamstring on August 7th and then missing all three preseason games and really the majority of training camp. So I, I, I think they're still trying to figure out exactly what he does best and where he's going to play. And in the meantime, you've got other guys who can play those positions. Now, nobody on that defense played well in the opener. So it's not like anybody has locked down uh, either one of those starting jobs. But I do think that you are going to see him play and they're going to try to work him in at both spots. That would be my guess. It would be really nice is if he like came up with an interception or a big jarring fumble or something this week to remind everybody why he was the number five pick. They're going to be doing it this week without both of their starting tackles. Geno Smith, though, feels pretty good about it anyway. Extremely confident. Those guys have played a lot for us. We know those guys. They know our system. Obviously, like I said, it's tough being thrusted into a game like last week, but those guys, they can get the job done, and I believe they will. And uh, it's all of our jobs to, to help them as well. They're not out there alone. It's all 11 on the field. And so I have the utmost confidence in those guys, and I look forward to them going out there and playing well. Appreciate the support. Absolutely, he should say that. But this is a big drop-off. This was one of the strengths of your team heading into this season, and now all of a sudden it goes from a strength to a weakness. So we'll see, what, we'll see, we'll see how this goes down. We're going to see uh, big Jason Peters. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I don't think he's going to start. I think that's asking a lot of a guy who's 41 years old coming off the streets to have – three, really two practices, because Friday is a walkthrough. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if he's active and in there sort of for emergency duty. I, my guess is they start Stone Forsyth, and, but who knows? If he struggles, maybe there's a hook. Here's the third thing you need to know. Close game, kind of an ugly one, but Philly holds off Minnesota last night in the first Thursday night football game of the season with the short week, so alright, maybe that's why it was kind of ugly. I watched Jalen Carter. It wasn't a huge night for him, but he showed some explosiveness. Certainly that TFL he had was you know, impressive. Rashad Penny didn't do a whole lot easy either. He had just nine yards on three carries and a huge holding call. Poor Rashad. Yeah, you want to see him do well. Just a really nice guy who could not stay on the field in Seattle. As far as Carter, we didn't really get into this in the last segment, but I do think another factor there with Seattle's thinking was this is a much different locker room than they had in 2017, and that was part of the the reason why they felt comfortable taking Malik McDowell. And remember, he was a player who had a lot of risk, uh, a, a lot of conversation about you know his effort, his motor, and all that off the field stuff uh, and remember they had Michael Bennett they had Cliff Averill they had all those other alpha males from the Legion of Boom they felt like that locker room was strong enough to police a guy like that to keep him in line and part of their thinking with Carter is that they didn't feel like they had that same kind of locker room you've, you've got some leaders there you got Bobby Wagner you've got Quandre Diggs on the back end but by and large it is they didn't feel like their locker room was in a place where it had enough veteran guys to really hold a player like Carter accountable, and that was part of the thinking. A couple other fun games across the league this weekend. Niners, Rams in L.A., so at least one of those teams will have a loss. Zach Wilson and the Jets get to play. 
the Dallas Cowboys defense. Oh, boy. So that should be uh, an interesting one. And then Cincinnati hosts Baltimore, looking to avoid starting 0-2. Huskies are in East Lansing. Michigan State is uh, kind of a mess right now. And the Cougs, we'll see if they can beat Northern Colorado, which I'm told does have a football team. We'll find out a little bit more about that tomorrow. That is everything you need to know. And we do a quarter pass to every hour. What you make at Aaron Rodgers going down. I got a lot of grief for laughing about it. And I wasn't laughing at him getting hurt per se. But after all of the buildup, the whole narrative and the fact that it's Jets fans and the Brett Favre similarities, like, I'm sorry, it's flat out hysterical. It is really uh, remarkable when you consider the history of quarterback calamities with that franchise. <laughs> and and my, my friend Rich Samini, my colleague at ESPN, did a great job. If you read the, the sort of feature story he wrote on that uh, that posted, I think, Monday night or, or Monday, you know, going back to Neil O'Donnell and Vinny Testaverde and the butt Didn't fumble. did Testaverde get hurt in his first game with them too? Like he did. I think he, ruptured, I think he actually ruptured his Achilles. Neil O'Donnell, like, uh, tore his calf on during pregame warmups. And, um, you know, I, I think as, as shocking as it was, I remember thinking over the summer, like, gosh, Aaron Rodgers is 39. He's got a little bit of injury history. Yeah. I remember on the, I think it was the first training camp practice, he came up limp and, and strained his calf muscle. And so as shocking as it was, it maybe there was maybe a little bit of foreshadowing there between the history and also what happened to Rodgers early Still in watching camp. it play out, man. I'm sorry. It is, that is that is unbelievable drama. The NFL just finds a way. But now you got to watch Zach Wilson against Dallas. So, Justin, I know that's what you were upset about was, you know, the, the story. Like it would have been fun to watch Aaron Rodgers against that defense. But there's going to be something sort of entertaining about watching the Jets with uh, with Zach Wilson go up against it now. So, all right. You're listening to Brock and Salk. It is Football Friday, powered by Snoqualmie Casino Sportsbook. Brady Henderson is here in the building for the next couple hours, which will be great. Uh, Brock will join us for Blue 88 coming up in 20. Before we get there, Brady, you talk there about that locker room and about what sort of uh, what sort of environment they have and how much attitude and impact they can bring. Two big names return to practice this week. How much impact can they have? That's next on Brock and Salk Sales Sports on 710 seattlesports.com. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Brady Henderson's in the building. Brady, what do you make of Beyonce? Fan? Not a fan? Talented? Good music, bad music, where are you? And, and you know, I don't know. You may not be as brave as me because not everyone is willing to say the hard truths. And That's the first word I think of when I think of Mike Saul. Bravery. Courage. Courageous. Yeah. Like the like a lion. Yes, I totally. Thank you. I appreciate that more. I appreciate also, stud that. Stud Rebel. Let's not forget that, too. Well, and I think that's kind of what I'm being here. Stud Rebel-ish when I tell you. And I'll, I'll give this take as many times as I need to with Beyonce here last night. Unbelievable talent. One of the great voices, not just of her generation, but of all time. Yeah. Seriously. Fantastic dancer. Beautiful woman. Like, she's got so many things going for her. Incredibly smart, from what I'm told. And, you know, a, a business empire with Jay-Z. They're conquering the world. So many things that are great about Beyonce. Her music, however, terrible. Yeah, I. Uh, it's really not my cup of tea, and uh, I, I'm probably not yeah, qualified because I couldn't even name more than like nobody can. four Beyonce. That so is I couldn't not even name more than one. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody yeah. can name five Beyonce songs. There right. seventy plus thousand people there last night who could. Yeah, and they're the seventy thousand. That's it. There's nobody else. 
And I think a bunch of them just went because it was the place to go. I Alpha think only Mo. like 40,000 of them oh, wow. could actually name five No, Beyonce don't get songs. me started on Taylor Swift and all the hysteria there. I, you've got grown people Whoa. dressing up. Brady. And here I am wearing a Brady. band t-shirt. So you're very you specific about your musical taste. It's just not your taste. Let it go. Like that doesn't mean <laughs> no, that she doesn't I have like good music. I like a lot of other things in the realm of Beyonce. I don't think her songs are very good. Why are we even though she's it? very talented? Well, because otherwise, Two days we're going to talk about <laughs> talk about the Seahawks and why they stunk <laughs> up the joint on Sunday. They're going to get Devin Witherspoon on the field this week, Brady. They got Jamal Adams back on the practice field. He's probably not going to play right. this week, but he's back on the practice field. How important is I mean, you, you talked about attitude, and I just go back to when they brought in Adams to begin with. It was supposed to be, hey, we need that juice. Yep. There's no juice in this locker room, and I don't know. I don't know that I've really seen it from him because he's not out on the field all that often. What what should we expect with Jamal and, and Devin back out on the field? Yeah, that that is a big part of the Adams thing, and and it is. I know he's not going to play this week, but whenever that, whenever he does get back, I think he could be kind of a shot in the arm for them, not just with what he provides on the field. Again, this is all assuming he can stay healthy, um, but the energy and you know going. There, I think there is an interesting backstory that you hinted at there is when they traded for him. Obviously, they were trading for a difference maker on the field and then all the pass rush stuff and all that. That was primarily about the kind of football player he is, but it was also about the kind of personality he is. And really what happened, from what I understand, is t- from talking to people in the organization, is that they felt like over the years their locker room really lost that. And what really happened was, remember they had all those guys from the Legion of Boom, all those really strong personalities. And what they learned is that that kind of personality is really a dual-edged sword. <laughs> like that gets you to extreme heights in terms of what those players are capable, the kind of identity you can have, especially on defense. But it also comes with a lot of headaches. And towards the end of those guys' careers, uh, especially the secondary guys, like, but but not just them. You know, Michael Bennett, I think, was part of this too. Like, they got sick of dealing with all the issues there, and it really, it just. They grew tired of it, and I think as they would tell you now, they overcorrected. Like they started going for guys who are easier going, you know, sort of mellow, more mellow guys. Look at the three defensive backs they drafted in 2017. That they were all sort of, you know, just like solid, not problematic guys. Um, but they overcorrected because they, as a result of that, there were fewer headaches, but their locker room also lost some of its edge. Uh, and that was part of what they were trying to get back with Adams. Well, so they bring him in, and unfortunately, I don't know that I have felt like they have a ton of edge even since then, especially on defense. Now, he does bring some juice. Geno Smith asked about him yesterday and what it was like having him out on the practice field again. Man, you can feel him right away, man. Just his uh, his energy, his playmaking skills, the way he flies around the field. So happy for him to get back into the lineup, man. I know he's been battling back from, from a couple injuries, and I know you know how hard it's been for him. But he stuck with it mentally and physically. And so to have you know 33 back out there flying around, man, it was, it was great. Really happy for him and excited to have him. Do, do you feel the energy change when he's around? It's hard for me to say just because we aren't we don't get to watch practice at this point. We get to watch the first five, seven minutes where they're just sort of running around warming up. But I don't know, man. You do see Adams walking around the locker room. He he's just got this strut about him. Like you can tell that he is just an energizer. And and we have seen it at practice in training camp. I remember the first one of the first few practices that he had in two thousand twenty. Um 
it was actually it was one of the first training camp practices because they were in pads. I remember there was a play in eleven on eleven where Cedric Obwehi was one of the tackles they had that season. He's pulling and he's out, you know, on the perimeter. And Adams delivered one of the hardest hits I've ever seen in a training camp practice. Just stuck his face mask in Cedric Obwehi's, you know, like chest plate and knocked him back. And I've just never seen that from a defensive from a defensive back on an offensive lineman. And the Is it whole like the Cam Chancellor hit on Mikey Potty. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah, it was just it was one of the hardest hits I've ever seen in training camp, and it totally lit up everybody. And that's kind of what you get with Adams. You just haven't really seen it because he's missed so much time. Uh, but when he's healthy and when he's playing, that is part of what you get with him. There is kind of an out-of-sight, out-of-mind element to the NFL. And it's easy to kind of come on after sun- Sunday's game and be like, all right, that defense stunk. It did. It was a bad defense. They didn't play well to a not very great team. They gave up 100 yards to two different no-name wide receivers. I mean, like, there were all kinds of problems, especially over the middle of the field. But it is sort of, you know, easy to be out of sight, out of mind. No Jamal, no Devin Witherspoon. And, you know, those guys are supposed to be sort of the 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 personality anyway of this defense. At least that's what DK said. This was all the way back in OTAs, but I think it still stands. Witherspoon? Oh, yeah, yeah, man. I love it. Um, you know, a, a guy that's going to go out there and compete. Um, and, you know, not gonna, is not going to back down from a challenge. I know, you know, Kobe tried to run into him and then, you know, he bowled up and, and tackled him. So. Uh, it was just fun to watch uh, how competitive he is, and I think you know when once we get Jamal back out there, you know both of their energy and their fire is gonna you know spark the whole defense up. So it's gonna be fun. I think that's great, and I, and I and I'm excited for them to have some players like that. And I, I think there's a lot of validity to the need for that personality, especially on the back end. All that being said, if you don't have the horses up front, I don't know how much it matters. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, those guys work in tandem a lot, right? It's, it's, and we heard that with sort of what happened in the game on Saturday, on Sunday is, you know, it was partly, it was the rush, pass rush not getting there. It was partly the coverage not being there. Um, so one can help out the other, but even the best secondary can't, you know, keep a defense going when you get two, you know, two quarterback hits on 39 dropbacks like they had Sunday. Look, I, I think that their pass rush is going to be better. They've just got too many, you know, they don't have that obvious difference maker, at least not with until Adams gets out there. They don't have that guy where you've seen it year in and year out who is, is really going to be a difference maker. Um, but they've got enough guys who should be able to be productive players there that what you saw on Sunday, I think, was way more of a of an aberration even, than what you're going to see. I mean, I, I heard Boye on yesterday. Was that in the huddle, I believe? And Boye was like, oh, yeah, the, what's the guy's name? The the new pass rushing coach? B.T. Jordan. He's like, yeah, B.T. Jordan's been great. He's really helped me. And I okay, well, if he's so helpful, I, I kind of like to see them occasionally get near a quarterback when they start rushing a passer. Like what happened? I, that's the one thing of all, of everything that surprised me in that game. And there was a lot that surprised me. Yeah, The thing that absolutely sh- – I wasn't even that surprised to see them continue to give up passes over the middle. Like, okay, that happens. And I'm not sure they've totally fixed that problem. How did they not get to the quarterback at all? Yeah, you, you would think with those numbers that this was just a case of Stafford getting the ball out quickly. I mean, that was part of it. I remember looking at our in our database at ESPN. He was – sort of middle of the pack in terms of starting quarterbacks with like time before throw, which I think is always an interesting stat to look at when you're trying to diagnose, 
In this case, why didn't the pass rush get more than two hits on him? So that was part of it, but certainly wasn't the only factor. We've heard players talk about how, you know, the a lot of pass rushing is working in tandem with one another and playing off of each other. And there's some new pieces there. Didn't play in the preseason. I think that's maybe part of it too is guys just weren't playing off of one another the way that they do when they really have that chemistry going. Bobby Wagner said you know, he he had a few blitz opportunities that he just didn't execute on based on timing and sort of hand placement of when you know the running back picked him up. And so it goes back to the idea that it was just a little bit of everything, and it's not just one thing you can point to. But um, I, I don't think that they are going – I don't think that's representative of what they're going to be as a pass rush group. I certainly I certainly hope not. I mean, you got some dudes, especially on the edge, that I'm really intrigued by, right? I mean, I, I really liked what Boye Mafe did throughout the entirety of the preseason and training camp. I didn't think he was bad. I actually thought he was one of their better players on Sunday, but he didn't stand out, right? Nwosu didn't really stand out. Derek Hall was large. In fact, the whole rookie class was sort of invisible, I thought, in that game. And that leads me then to the biggest name in this in this conversation, and that's the guy they spent all the money on in the offseason who – Look, I don't. Maybe he had a great game. Maybe he was he was inside doing his thing against the run, et cetera. But aren't I supposed to really see Draymond Jones over the course of a football game? You would think so, yeah. And and you really didn't. And, and I agree with you. Like the, you know, they. It's easy to overlook the fact that they stopped the run at least outside the red zone. They stopped the run pretty well, and so he's right in the middle of all that, playing you know forty plus snaps a game, whatever it was. So you have to figure that he did some nice things there in the run game, the types of things that don't show up in the stat sheet. I think he had only two tackles. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that is part of it. But certainly as a pass rusher, I, I did not see him really factor much at all. So what does all that look like then as you start to head to Detroit and think about you know a team that's a lot more talented than what you saw last week? That doesn't always equal they're going to be better on that day. But what do some of those same problems look like as you try to fix them this week? Well, Stafford, I think part of what makes him can make him tough to sack is that he's got such a quick release. And I don't think Goff has that. So, But on the other side of that is you were playing at home uh, against Stafford, and you would think that the energy and the noise there would give you a little bit of an advantage as a pass rusher. You're not going to have that playing mm-hmm. in, De- in Detroit. In fact, that's going to really, I think, work against them on offense, especially with backup left tackles going against Aiden Hutchinson. Um, but I, I mean, I just can't imagine it being as bad as it was in that game, even playing on the road. I hope you're right. Uh, and, 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 you know, look, things can get out of control fairly quickly in a, in a football season. And that's why losing game one, does it affect your season? No, not necessarily, but it puts a little pressure on game two because you really don't want to get down Oh two. And now all of a sudden the pressure on game three becomes enormous and you start losing three in a row to start a season, all of a sudden you're having a very different conversation about what that season is all about. Yeah, and, and meanwhile, look at what San Francisco did in week one. And all of the hype that – and I shouldn't say hype because it's not like they are some up-and-coming team. Like, they've been there. They were in the NFC Championship game last year. Won yeah, the George NFC Kittle West. said there were a lot of haters. So, I mean, come on. Everyone's hating on them. That's what he yeah, said. Yeah, that seems said. like one of those, you know, sort of fake disrespect things okay. that is becoming way- – yeah, I no, I mean, I think everybody picked them to win the division. But they won 30-7 to in 
Pittsburgh just demolished the Steelers and you know all of the whatever conversation there was about Brock Purdy and is he gonna how's he gonna look coming off elbow injury wasn't even throwing until June eh, he looked pretty good a couple touchdown passes so yeah he if you start down, he threw down the field too which I he think did. was the one like he couldn't even really do that last year and he threw down the field pretty well right oh, and geez. yeah and one of the criticisms of his of Purdy last year as well as he did when he took over is that. Maybe he was a product of a system that is designed to be quarterback friendly where you're dumping the ball off you know, on these short throws and you're having Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey doing the heavy lifting with run after the catch. That was not the case in that game. He was pushing the ball down the field and having success. And so if the Seahawks lose this game on Sunday, is that a death knell for mm. their hopes of making the playoffs? No, I don't think so. No, They came back from an 0-2 start in 2018, made the playoffs, but... If you start 0-2, if San Francisco looks as good in Week 2 as they did in the opener, well, you can really start to... And it puts a lot of pressure on yeah. Week 3, which is against, what, Carolina? Carolina at home. And yeah. that's, a, that's a winnable game, certainly, but they beat you last year. They did. Right? I mean, like, all, you know, it's, it's, it just it puts you in a spot that you probably don't really want to be in to start the season. So, that's Brady Henderson. That's the voice you hear. He is in hanging out today for a couple of hours. We're going to play some, uh, some buy or sell Seahawks Lions edition coming up here in 15 minutes right now though brock's gonna join us for some blue 88 this is brock and Sox's blue 88 blue 88 blue 88 we take you to the field as brock ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can now here's your hosts brock heward and mike song hi buddy good morning man how are we doing does the hitman have a shirt on? Is this a Friday regular occurrence? Not no. today, no. no. It's hard when you live on a boat. You, you, laundry doesn't happen that quickly, Brock. <laughs> we did get a texter asking you. about your hat, though. Oh, yeah, Travis Matthew. I think Mike Salt got me this hat. It's a Travis Matthew. I think I did. Yeah. yeah, Sounds like something I would have done. That was nice of me. It sure was. <laughs> See, Brock, that's the kind of thing I do for people. Sure. Sure. I think you lost the bet on the golf course, right? <laughs> you know I don't bet on golf courses. <laughs> I want to enjoy my golf match. I have no interest in betting. All right. Question number one for you, Brock. Seahawks were not good in the middle of the field, as we've talked about all week long. How do they fix it this week against a better Detroit team? Yeah, do you have Clinton Hurt talking about that? Yes. Can I hear? Yeah, let me hear the defensive coordinator, and I'll respond. Depending on what the coverage is, is depending on who I got to speak to and have, uh, you know, address in those situations. Sometimes if guys have a hard down, you change the coverage to take some of the stress off of them because it depends on how they're attacking the middle. Is it play action passes or is it or is it drop back? You know, so it's different on who they try to affect. And if I can change up who that's affecting, then I got to change the call up to help them out. Yeah, I think there's some merit to that. Um, I, I think ultimately <clears throat> my, my instinct says the best way to cover people anywhere on the field and especially in the middle of the field is your ability to play man-to-man coverage and to be able to run with them as Tariq Woolen did last year when he got an interception over the middle of the field against Jared Goff. That might have been his last interception because I don't think he's thrown one in like 360 passes. So um, my instinct, Mike, says to play more man coverage. The problem with that is the amount of speed, the creativity, the veteran leadership of Jared Goff, that all of a sudden, okay, you want to play man? And here comes this play action. Here comes this rub route. Here comes this motion and this stack release. And here comes guys having to communicate that much more because they're not just running my eighth grade man-to-man route that I'm running on Titus' football team. They're running pretty darn complex stuff. Throw 
throw the O coordinator there with the Lions into the same pot as McVay and Shanahan. He doesn't come from that tree, but as far as his creativity, and I know Dan Orlovsky thinks he may be one of the best in the league right now, uh, he's he's excellent. And throw a Cal Berkeley grad at quarterback that's got years and years and years and years of experience and knows what he is and what he isn't, getting the ball out of his hand and reading those defenses. This is going to be this going to be a problem in the middle of the field unless unless you hit Jared Goff early and often. That honestly, uh, Clint can call whatever coverage he wants, and he better mix it because you can't give that QB a, a bead on what you're doing. But more than anything else, you got to hit that dude early. You got to hit him often. Right, question, question number, number two. two. There you go. Sorry, Brady. I will stand it like that. I'm okay. sorry. Hey, my bad. This is wow. question number two in case you didn't hear that, wow. Brock. How wow. can Shane Waldron help his two young offensive tackles Sunday? <laughs> uh, get the ball out. <laughs> uh, but, you know, just uh, make sure you do everything that I just said Jared Goff has got to do. Read the defense. When they come with the pressure, get the ball out of your hand. Make sure, Shane, you don't get stuck in a rut like you did in that second half. And make sure you keep mixing it. Mix your tempo. Mix your formation. Get in the empty sometimes. I think people would say, oh, my God, you can't go empty. You got you to have somebody on Jake Curhan's edge every time. You got you to gotta help Stone Forsythe. You can't have open edges against these guys. And I say, um, Malarkey, you absolutely better mix that in. And you, because I think Zeno in empty is something that he does as, as well as anything else he does. And then lastly, you gotta, you gotta pound the football. I mean, we can talk about all this other ingredients and all the other pretty frosting and, and stuff offensively and defensively. The bottom line, you've gotta make Aiden Hutchinson think run. You've gotta make those guys up front honor the run. Um, it, it, you know, I'm not gonna compare these guys to the 49ers front because they're not. But it's the same idea. They want to they want to stop the run on the way to the quarterback. So you better make sure you put run in their mind and you dictate and you attack. And so does that mean Salt's favorite play? A little flip nine. Does that mean trap? Does that mean draw? Does that mean zone? Does that mean stretch? Does that mean all of that run game so those guys don't get in their three-point stance and think, yeah, I get to tee off. Exactly what the Rams got to do in the second half of that game is they got off the field and off the field and off the field. You did not sustain drives. You did not move the chains. You did not make them think run. And if you don't make the Lions think run on Sunday, you've got no chance. Yeah, Geno Smith no was asked the, the same question. Getting the calls in, making sure we're loud and clear and concise, getting the calls in, and then um, getting the ball out. You know, if I have to use my legs, you know, using my legs, just, you know, doing whatever it takes to get the first down on third downs. And then with those guys in the game, like I said, they understand our system. They've been a part of it. They know what to do. And uh, we just got to continue to go out there and play together. All right, so there you go. In addition to everything well, Brock said, he can use his legs. Yeah, but here's the thing. I don't want Geno thinking I need to scramble. <laughs> Geno Smith is good when he has to on occasion scramble. I don't want Geno Smith going into that game going, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Time for me to be the winner. <laughs> Time for me to put on a show. Time for me to go in the spin cycle. I don't think no, that's no, no, what no. he's saying. I, I, I think he I think he understands that's not quite his game. Question number three. Yeah. Brock uh, Witherspoon's going to play his first game as a Seahawk. We would certainly expect it anyway. I still don't even really understand what his role is. What would you expect out of him in his first outing? Yeah, none of us do. Not even the great Brady Hitman Henderson understands it because he doesn't get to watch practice now other than the other than warm-ups. So is he going to be playing a little nickel? 
they have a feed on where Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be and make sure if he's in the slot, they get Devin Witherspoon on him? Is he going to be on the outside, just opposite of Tariq Woolen? The way that Trey Brown played and in the way that Mike Jack played the preseason, uh, I sure hope the number five pick in the draft is, is able to line up opposite of Tariq Woolen. And remember what K.J. Wright said to us on Wednesday. No matter where he lines up, so nickel on the perimeter, both he and Woolen are going to be tested in their in their run defense and their ability to fit and tackle. These, these two backs, Montgomery and Gibbs, are just horses. I mean, big, strong, physical. You know that uh, that team that I talked about and that OC on the other side, it's like, okay, all right, let's make sure we get this play on the perimeter. Let's see this 185-pound corner tackle. Let's see Tariq Woolen, who did a lot of camp, who, who last year, you know, if there was a an area of growth in this game, he needs to still be tackling. Let's get him on the perimeter with these dudes one-on-one, and let's see them tackle no matter where Witherspoon is. So his ability to, to do what he did in college, and that is hit people, knock them backwards, and get them to the ground. That's going to be essential on Sunday morning. All right, that is today's Blue 88 every morning, 745 with Brock. I, I think that's kind of unfair of you, Brock. I mean, just be, I, I, to call it a little nickel when Witherspoon's in the game, it just doesn't feel right. I, I don't know. It seems unnecessary. <laughs> I said, is that what I said? Well, I don't know. I mean, it just, I mean, I know he's not the tallest guy, but for, you're just always yeah. obsessed with people's size. I don't know why you would call it little nickel. Oh, I, well, I apologize. If that's how it came across and portrayed, I didn't mean it that way. If he plays a little bit of nickel, a little bit of outside corner, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Ah, it just seems I, odd that you would continue to emphasize little. I don't know. He plays bigger than what's on that roster, and he is going to have to do that on Sunday. So I, yeah, And I know you guys were just talking about some of the edge that he and Jamal can bring and, and whether it shows up when it doesn't really show up up front. I don't know. You tell me. Did, did Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas, did they bring a little edge? Did they dictate a little bit on the back end of that secondary? Yeah. I mean, they were good up front. There's no question. Mike were, Bennett, Abril, and those really guys, good they weren't front. all pros. They were really good I mean, up they, front. Yeah, but they weren't all pros. I think they, I mean, they actually were pro bowlers and should have been more and just got overlooked because of the guys in the back. I think if the guys uh, in the back hadn't been as good, the guys in the front would have gotten more notice. Well, there's no question they played complimentary, but when you ask about setting an edge from the back end of your defense, Earl and Cam did it to a standard that they hope Jamal and, and this kid can do it. You know, I mean, this kid, you put on his tape, Witherspoon's tape in college, and you put on Earl Thomas's tape in college, and the amount of impact and force they create at their size are very, very similar. Playing Jamal Adams and now at 225 pounds around the line of scrimmage like they used to with Cam – Maybe that's what they're looking for. I sure right? hope so, man. Yeah. I sure hope so because again, we're watching Jalen Carter last night again. I really hope this Witherspoon kid is everything he's cracked Brock, up hang to on, be. Simon, I don't know why we're worried about this because we were told last season that we should not feel uh, any concern about the Lions. You're still giving them zero or zero point one percent. Lions, yeah, zero. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know why you would bring that up today. That seems, that seems very unnecessary. The mortgage Thank you, Barnes. All right, Brock, have a great time this weekend. You got Ohio State and Indiana? Ohio State and Western Kentucky. Oh, Western Kentucky. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, the Hilltoppers. Don't sleep, don't, don't sleep on the Hilltoppers now. They'll, they'll score some points. Is that where don't, George Fant went? Up. Isn't he a Hilltopper? 
Yep. George Fan is one of ten Hilltoppers currently in the NFL. Yeah. Yes, he is. I'd like to, I'd like you All to right. drop his name into the broadcast tomorrow. I think that'd be important. Well, and, uh, thankfully you'll you'll actually watch a little bit of it, not for me, but for G. Scott Jr. That's so, usually yeah. why I watch. Yeah, I'll see if I can All make right. that happen. See you, buddy. Goodbye. There you go. There's Brock Hewitt who joins us, of course, for Blue Eighty Eight today. He will be back Monday morning. Brady's going to stick around. We're going to play a little buy or sell Seahawks Lions edition. I'm sure that uh, I won't be made fun of at all for my Lions prediction <laughs> last year, and I don't know why I would. It's next. I'm Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710.